and I'm going to talk to you about how much it costs to win souls. How much does it cost? What does the gospel cost us? Now, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians in a minute. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So a righteous life actually produces life. And it produces fruit. You know, a lot of people can depend on a, a, a good person, a, a godly person, a person who's trustworthy. You can't depend on somebody who's only selfish and focused on themselves and wicked. So the fruit of a righteous life is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, why don't you notice that phrase, he that winneth souls. To win a soul means to win them over. It means to get them to believe what you believe. What do you believe? We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he died and was buried and rose again for our sins, according to the scriptures, because we needed a savior. We didn't need more religion. We didn't need more good works. We didn't need to more makeup and more hairstyles and more uh, uh, more e- uh, economic benefits. We needed a savior. But getting people to believe that Jesus is alive from the dead, that he is our anchor and our hope and our savior from sin, is what it means to win a soul. What will it cost us? What will it cost each and every one of us to go beyond these four walls right here and actually win a soul to faith in Christ? Let's go to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14. Matthew 5. Matthew 5.14 says this, Ye are the light of the what? Now, that's that's kind of important. You're not the light just of your home, and you ought to be, or the light, you know, just here on Sunday, but you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, over to the right. Get to Hebrews, go back. You've gone too far. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians 2, 14 says this, Do all things... Philippians 2.14 Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's grumbling and arguments. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Nobody should be able to point the finger and say, I saw you on Saturday night drunk. I saw you in a fight with your wife on your way into church. I hope not. Um, But you should be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You know what that word perverse means, don't you? How twisted and how evil this world is. Among whom, what do we do? We shine as lights in the world. Now, here's a light. Okay? It's a desk lamp. What was it designed to do? That's kind of pretty looking. It's actually my desk lamp. It's what I use when I'm reading. But the purpose of it is not to look pretty. What's the purpose of it? To give light, to shine, darken, to lighten a dark room. Well, we're lights. We were designed to shine. Yet, there's so many barriers that believers have that they, they make it so that nobody barely knows that they're a Christian. They own purpose. Now, this thing is shining, but if this light was embarrassed of the light, it would be trying to hide it. And that would be a stupid way to live. It would, it would be, it would be wrong for the light to, to, uh, every time I turned it on, for it to turn itself off. And yet, a lot of Christians do that. What is it going to cost for us to shine? I know why Christians don't shine. I know exactly why, because I'm one of them. (laughs) And every excuse you got, I've played with in my mind. You see, most people, but I want to talk about the purpose of why we shine. Most people have not heard the gospel. They have not. You know what most people have heard about? They've heard about their religious duties. 
They've heard about being good. They've heard about trying to be saints. They've heard about miracles and psychology and love thy neighbor. But they've never heard about Jesus. See, how do you know? Because you mentioned that name Jesus and they turn dark. They don't know the Jesus I know. He brings joy to me. He lifts me in the morning when, when I want to quit. Uh, um, he's the sweetest name I have ever known. But most people don't know him. Oswald J. Smith, the missionary and evangelist, said this, we talk of the second coming of Jesus. And it's funny, in this day and age, there's a lot of talk about the, the rapture and the second coming. There's no problem with that. I know, uh, uh, I know a lot about uh, the future. I don't fully understand it all, but I'll say this. He's, he, uh, I agree with uh, Oswald Smith when he said, we talk so much of the second coming of Jesus when half the world has never heard of his first coming. That's very gripping. Now, what, is it, what does it cost to tell the gospel? We say, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for the likes of you and me. Most people only want to admit a slight need for Jesus. Yes, I need a little bit of prayer. Yes, I, 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 I should go back to church, but that's all they want to do. Some of them go for a brief hour on Saturday evening. Some go on Sunday mornings. But you know what? The rest of us, we know just how lost and messed up we were. And we gladly testify what we were like before we heard the gospel. Very humbling to actually admit you're arrogant, proud, you lived a life demon-possessed. It's very humbling for you to admit that. Full of wickedness and pornography. Suicidal. Full of drunkenness and addiction to drugs and everything imaginable. I, you look at a list of all the things that people can become addicted to, and they're finally admitting that people can be addicted to TV, addicted to gaming. They, they, they finally are admitting that people are addicted to just about everything. You know what the problem? Most of them won't admit it. And until you admit it, there's no hope. But you know what the work of the gospel is? To bring somebody who is lost to admit they're lost. That's the first thing. That's repentance. And, and, and so that you can receive the good news. There's always the bad news first. You ever hear somebody says, doc, doctor says, I got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? I take the bad news first so I can hear the good news after. Well, bad news, you're a mess. The good news is Jesus loves messes. And he can fix anything. Now, did you know that the gospel will cost you nothing to receive? Somebody else paid for it, amen? But it will often cost you everything to give it to someone else. That's what it's going to cost you. Um, <clears throat> by way of background, I want to look at four examples, first of all, of what it costs to go somewhere with the gospel. The first person that I'd, I'd uh, uh, like to introduce you to and to uh, get you to think about is a guy named Jonah. What do you think it cost Jonah just, just to go to the Ninevites with God's warning that they were going to get destroyed if they didn't repent? What did it cost him? Ah, what it should have cost him was just a little bit of time. But you know what it cost him? Hmm, it cost him his pride. It was too humbling for this God-fearing, self-righteous, arrogant, Super prophet. It's too humbling for him to care, care about a city full of pagan God-haters. It's a, it takes crucifying your pride to go to somebody you don't like and to love them. And to give them the gospel, give them hope, and to patiently win them. It cost him his pride. It cost him his own will. If you ask Jonah, what would you like to do? The last thing on his list would have been to go to Nineveh. So, I don't know, I know a lot of people say, oh, I love God's will. I go, you're the first. <laughs> you know, when God puts his will on your heart for you to do, you will fight it. You will fight. That's how you know it's God's will. Say, is this girl God's will for my life? You better check that because God's will is not always easy. You'll find out later. <clears throat> Cost him his health. You know, for him to go to Nineveh and him fight it, it cost him three days and three nights in the, in the belly of a whale in sinking uh, or dripping in hydrochloric acid. When he came out of that whale, he looked as white as a sheet. It cost him his health to go to Nineveh, didn't it? He had gone and tried to go so far away from God. God brought him first class in the belly of a whale. 
and hydrochloric acid, stomach juice, back to Nineveh, amen? And you know, if you're going to do God's will, it may just cost you your health. And it may just risk your life. Here's a Jew. <clears throat> Jew is a, was a, was a slave. Jew is a, a, a piece of dirt to the Ninevites. And so here's this Jew. He looked, walked, talked just like a Jew. He's coming, walking in the midst of the capital of the empire that was, was overtaking the world. And Jonah is walking into that city. It takes him three days to get to the center of the town. When he's in the middle of the village, everybody's looking at him going, oh, this is our enemy. Let's kill him. He risked his life. What does it cost to do the will of God, to take the gospel? You may just walk into a situation and it costs your life. What did it cost Peter to go to Cornelius and to his family with the gospel? If you might remember, Peter, the last thing on his list would be to go to a Gentile and give him the gospel. So he had to overcome his racism. He hated, he personally despised Gentiles, and especially Romans, because the Romans were, were ruthless toward the Jews. He saw them, he grew up being taught that Romans and Gentiles were dogs, unworthy of getting into the kingdom of God. He had to overcome his racism. And there's many a man, many a woman, many a young person, who when they got called to the mission field, they looked to the world and said, I'll go anywhere except there. <laughs> Because I don't like those kind of people. Amen. Peter had to overcome his racism, had to overcome his reputation. Most of the other believers were upset at him for going to the to, to Cornelius, going to the Gentiles, sitting down, eating with them, leading them to Christ. They all rebuked him and said, how dare you go in there? He had to overcome his reputation. He had to just do God's will even though nobody understood it. He had to overcome his diet. Remember, he was a God-fearing Jew who would never, ever have eaten a hot dog. And I can, or, or, a, or a pepperoni pizza. But I remember, oh, Cornelius, he's Italian. So bring him the pizza, mama. Come on, let's feed up Peter here. He's, a, he's, a, he's my favorite preacher today. So in he comes and he sits down and he eats that thing. He has to overcome all his diet rules, everything, because he's interested in souls. I know, guys, I told this story last week. I have a missionary friend. <clears throat> it's been years since I've met him. He went down to one of the poorest parts of Mexico years and years, 30 years ago. And what they give him for dinner one night was chicken heads with the brains. You know, he's trying to win those Mexicans. He's trying to give them the gospel and they're smiling saying, this is our favorite part. <laughs> you know what he did? He ate them. What's it going to cost you to give the gospel to somebody? It cost Peter a lot. What did it cost Paul and Silas and Barnabas to go out throughout the Middle East and even to the southern Europe with the gospel? Well, I got to thinking about this. They had to forfeit their old hateful religion. You know what Paul had to leave behind him? His desire to destroy anything that was not his religion. You know, that's a funny thing. You know, you can disagree with me, but I don't want to kill you. But if you disagree with Paul, out came a sword or he picked up a stone that was his life. That was his religion. And he had to drop that when he followed Christ and wanted to love souls and live for souls. He no longer could see them as inferior, could no longer see them as superior. He had to love them as they are. And he had to drop that old Judaism religion and he had to love souls. What's it going to cost you? It cost them their homes back in Antioch. They lived out of tents for the rest of their lives. And when they weren't in tents, <laughs> you know where they were? In prison. It cost them their freedom. They were, they probably spent, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, probably spent more time in prison than out of prison, just for the gospel's sake. Another thing, Paul had to lose his self-sufficiency. You know, a minister of gospel. You know, I go, I, I've come here to Ireland, and I don't get paid by the Irish. I don't get paid uh, by the government. I get paid by people over in the States. Let me tell you, that's very humbling. I don't like to do that. I've worked full-time jobs. I've worked two jobs at a time. I'd much rather pay my own bills. But when you go and you got to take the gospel to somebody, you don't want to charge them a penny. It's free, amen? And when we, when we send off our missionaries and we help our missionaries go into the different places in the world, uh, we make sure that we help them financially to go so the gospel's free, amen? But that's humbling to the missionary because most missionaries should be so determined to never depend on anybody but God. 
But you're dependent on people to care about you and send support. And there's Paul. Once and again, people were sending money unto him so he could just preach and could keep going and keep going. The greatest of all, what did it cost Jesus to bring us the gospel? Go to John chapter 10. Gospel of John chapter 10. John 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and he leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's a hireling. He does it for money and careth not for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and they shall be one fold and one shepherd, speaking of the Gentiles, along with the Jews. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. What did it cost Jesus? Himself. Everything. First Peter, to the right, all the way to the right, just after Hebrews, First Peter, chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, paid for with corruptible things, silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, everything you learned, everything you got, you got from, from your, your culture and from your parents. But you were redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So it cost him his life and his blood. And here's the great question. Why do we wait? Why do we fight? Why do we argue? Why do we only look for easy opportunities? Why do we reject our responsibilities simply because we find it hard to win souls? Well, I'll tell you, there are four reasons why we don't. The first one is it will cost you a cross. Three scriptures real quick. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. See, Pastor, I've never gone out soul winning or Pastor, I haven't been soul winning in a while. I've never uh, carried gospel tracts or... Uh, or I've been too afraid or whatever. What's it going to cost me? Here you go. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? Follow me. Now, your cross is your way of life now. It's not something you wear around your neck or something you put on as a tattoo. It's the way you live. Go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. In verse 34. And when he had called his people, when he called the people unto him, Mark 8, 34, with his disciples also, he said unto them all, whosoever will come after me, is that free will? Is that open to anybody? You want to follow Jesus Christ? Look at his invitation. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him lose himself. Let him leave himself behind. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever is going to try and save his life, you're going to do what? Oh, you say, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm too afraid. I'm just, you go ahead and you go soul winning. You go ahead and you give to missions. You go ahead and you preach. I'm just going to stay in my little corner. I'm just going to be a good little boy. You know what you're going to do? You're going to lose everything. You will. You say, what will I lose? 
Well, your, your wife and your family are watching you to see if you're for real. And if you're not the real deal, they won't follow Jesus either. Many a Christian mom and dad trying to raise their kids for God, they come to church on Sunday morning with their kids, but Sunday night they're in front of the television. Wednesday night they're in front of the television. All week long they're in front of the television, never reading their Bible, never praying with their family, never talking about God, never engaging, saying we got to go soul winning, never encouraging one another. So when the next generation grows up, guess where they are? In front of the television and not in church. They're waiting to see if you're going to take this thing seriously. Luke chapter 9, Luke 9.23, it gets worse. <laughs> Luke 9.23, <clears throat> Luke 9.23, and he said unto them, how many? He's talking to everybody. It is free will, folks. It is for everybody in this room, everybody on this planet. If any man or woman or child, anybody will come after me, you're going to have to lose yourself, deny yourself, leave yourself behind, take up his cross, how often? And follow me. What are we talking about? We're talking about hardship. We're talking about hardship. You know... A lot of people will say, well, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to that man, he said, uh, you know what? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I have no place to lay my head tonight. You realize, if you ever do get a burden for souls, it's going to be hard. Second Timothy chapter 2, to the right. Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm glad my Bible doesn't preach like the modern televangelist and prosperity preacher. Second Timothy chapter two had a riot over in uh, somewhere in Texas. Uh, some church, some pastor got up there and says, "I need everybody to tithe a thousand dollars." Well, that's not a tithe, first of all. Number two, he's got no business telling you what to give. God told you what to give, which is your tithe. But that man wanted to have a better car. There's a there's some scumbag uh, in in Louisiana who's trying to raise like. 50 million euros for a third jet, private jet. That's not, this stuff is not in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? 2 Timothy 2, 3. Thou therefore, Timothy, endure what? There was a guy named Creflo Dollar. A name like that, I'd be very worried. <laughs> he had all his uh, audience. He said, ladies and gentlemen, you want to sow some seeds? Beware of words like that. Come on up, bring up... Lay some money here on the altar and give it to God and God will give you money back, bucket loads out of your wazoo. So there he is, as people started putting money all over there. He's dancing on that money. Of course he is. He's a demon. Amen. He's a full-blooded demon. That Bible says endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Missionary C.T. Studd, who preached the gospel in China, India, and Africa, said, If Jesus Christ be God, and if he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's the attitude we have. Not the attitude of, what do I get out of this? Pastor, if I become a, uh, if I become a missionary, if I go soul winning, do, do, do I get a new car? No, you'll get your tire slashed. <laughs> Some will come along and take a key going... <laughs> Right alongside. You'll park your car outside of the estate. You go soul winning in and you'll come back over there and somebody will put a brick through your window. Amen. You endure it. It means hardship. Ernest Shackleton is said to have ran a, an ad in the Irish Times. He said, men wanted for hazarded journey. <laughs> Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in the event of success. You filled a ship full of people who wanted to go to the point. Listen, that's truth. I don't know if he actually put that ad in or they can't find the actual proof of it. I just know that's what Jesus Christ offers. Men want it. Can't guarantee you success. But you know what? One day there will be honor. Can't guarantee that it won't be bitterly cold or too hot. That it won't be... Uh, that the food won't be stale or lacking. 
that's a good listen when you realize that when when you just when you start caring about our world more so than than the red cross more so than than just compassionate humanitarianism when you care for souls it'll be hard and until you're ready to experience hardship you're never going to be ready to win souls it means hatred as well the more faithful we are toward the Lord Jesus, the more likely the world will hate us. 2 Timothy 3.12. Go there. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. One page over. Yea. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall be blessed. No, you live right. You live good. No good deed will go unpunished. Is that not truism? I don't know if that's a Murphy law, Murphy's law or not, but Murphy was a corkman. <laughs> Yea, all that will live godly, 3.12, in Christ Jesus, shall. That is an affirmative. That is a done deal. It is guaranteed. Shall suffer persecution. You need to expect that the world around you is going to generally hate you when you are unapologetic, when you are unwavering, when you are bold and outspoken for Christ. You need to expect people to mock, discredit, and seek to silence you, especially on social media. They'll report you. You put the gospel up straight and clear and somebody says, this is offensive. And then you're in Facebook jail for 30 days. <laughs> so what? I trust the living God, amen? I trust that sometimes by offending people, sometimes by making them mad, you get them thinking, amen? Now, I don't intend, I don't want to make anybody mad because I'm a jerk, although I do that pretty regularly. <laughs> I want them to get upset at the gospel. I've long observed that the majority of public evangelicals, like these televangelists, they're obsessed with a consuming desire to be liked by the culture of our Western world. And yet Jesus said, I have given them thy word, Father, and the world hath hated them because they're not of the world. I wonder if we are too much of the world, and so we want the world to like us instead of we are not of this world. They mocked Jesus, they spat upon him, out of unreasonable hatred, and I have been standing in queue trying to deal with people as a Christian, uh, um, a clear gospel witness, and watch people mock me, mock my family, mock my children. You know what you do? You just keep going. It's what we do. It also, a cross means loss. Go to Luke 21, Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 16. Luke 21 and verse 16. Luke 21, 16, and ye shall be betrayed. Betrayal, a good word. I mean, that's a, that's a harsh word. Judas betrayed Jesus. That's a strong thought. You're gonna be, you're gonna be tricked, caught out, turned over to hateful people. You shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren, and kinsfolks, and what? Some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You know, uh, a cross means loss. Loss of friends, loss of family sometimes. Uh, I don't know about you. I had it pretty easy. Uh, you know, my dad made fun of me every time I got with him. I sat down with him, I gave him the gospel, I told him I was going to be a missionary. I told him I was going to preach the gospel. My dad would just sort of snicker. And you never heard anybody snicker like my dad can snicker. And he'd look at me. Why are you wasting your life? And you look, and that would just dagger. And that was nothing. But you know, when you're rejected by your family, you get a little bit of taste of what it was like in the first century where people were kicked out of their homes. They lost their jobs. You know, why were they selling their lands? Why were they bringing all of those gifts and money to the apostles? What was going on? To distribute to people who had nothing, who had lost everything to follow Christ. And if you're going to follow Christ, it might mean you losing the very people you love the most. You'll be rejected by the religious crowd. They were kicked out of synagogues. 
you find yourself, uh, I almost got kicked out of Bible college. Not because, uh, I read of, <laughs> I read of a lot of other kids doing all kinds of crazy things, but, uh, cause I just, I just believe God wrote a Bible and it was perfect. It was word perfect. I believe my King James Bible is the Word of God. And I spoke it in front of class one time and the teacher got beat red. I'd never seen anything like it before. You know, when you dis- when you sided with Jesus against the world, you'll have to pay for it. Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have, he could have walked into palaces. He could have run the world because he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he refused to be called that, and he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Luke 4, 1433, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, to forsake means you got to let go of it. Now, sometimes you let go of things and they come back, amen? Sometimes you give the gospel to somebody and they say, I hate you, or they, they mock you and they walk away from you, but they respect you. And they come back late at night like Nicodemus did, and they go, can you tell me more? Tana Collins, I read about this missionary to Tibet. Listen to her prayer. She wrote this down in her diary. She said, Lord, here in your precious word, I give myself. Oh, that's easy. My husband. I give my children. And all that I have or ever shall possess, I give all to you. I will follow your will even to China, Lord. Open doors and I will go and tell the Chinese of your great love. In time of need, I ask that you supply for us. In time of sorrow, give us peace. In times of joy, send someone to share. Just help me to never murmur or complain because I love you, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer of a woman in Tibet waiting to go into China and die. Nate Saint, who was a missionary who died as a martyr at the hands of a tribe on the Curare River in Ecuador. He served with Jim Elliott. Both of them were, were pierced through with spears next to their airplane just after they landed one day. He wrote this in his diary. He said, people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. He wasn't wasting his life. The great apostle Paul said this, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. It's going to be hard. And until until you're ready to lose some things, you're not ready to win souls. You know what? You might lose everything. Now, just going soul winning on a Saturday is not going to cost you very much. But when you become soul conscious, when you have your eyes open to the world that's around you and you get a burden and you start going, you don't know how far you'll go and you'll find yourself in dangerous situations, be ready to go. Souls will cost a lot of conflict. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. A lot of struggle. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I be free from all men... Yet have I made myself servant unto how many? That I might gain the more. So what's his life purpose? I want to gain souls. I want to win souls. I want to gain people. So I, I, I'm, I'm free from them. I'm not, I, I'm not bound. I don't have to do this, but I choose to make myself servant unto all. Verse 20, and unto the Jews, I became as a Jew again, that I may gain them, gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, pshh, I lived as under the law myself, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as what? That I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that by all means, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for what sake? For the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you, of winning souls. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? 
All of them run, but one, only one receiveth the prize. So you run, that ye may obtain. And every man that, here's the word, striveth for the mastery. Tell me, uh, how does somebody get out on that track like uh, Sonia O'Sullivan? How does somebody get out on uh, on that golf course like Tiger Woods? How does somebody um, uh, uh, get out in the Olympics and throw a javelin or a discus or... Um, um, uh, you know, do a marathon. How do they do that? How do they, do they just come out of the stands, get out there and they try it and they win it? No, it takes years of backbreaking struggle, pushing themselves, finding their limits and then overcoming them. And it'll take you conflict where you strive to get the mastery of this thing. It's never been easy to win a soul. Never been easy to give somebody the gospel. Verse, uh, uh, verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery, he's tempered. He's under control in all things. He doesn't go out of balance. Doesn't go drinking on Saturday nights and then come to church on Sunday morning. Doesn't sit and watch filth on Saturday night and then come to church and expect to have anything and get anything out of the gospel on Sunday. Now they that do it to obtain, talking about in the, in the Olympics, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, we do it for an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. I carry this kicking, screaming body of mine that is struggling and fighting me. I keep under it and bring it into subjection. I make it obey, lest by that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, thrown away, useless to God. So souls will cause a lot of conflict, first with yourself. Most people are going to be fear, going to have a fear of being rejected by somebody, having somebody close the door on your face, fear of fumbling through your words. You have never stuttered like you will when you're given the gospel. You will struggle with the fear of saying, you know you're going to say something stupid. You just, you're just going to do it and they're going to look at it and go, what? <laughs> but there's the fear of losing your friends and family if you actually come out of the closet, folks. Isn't it funny? The homosexuals have defined what is courage, and they've come out of the closet, and they've done it spectacularly. Do you agree? Where are the Christians? Still in the closet, still in the, in the, in the shelf of the closet. You'll fight this battle every day of your earthly life. It does, it does get easier, but the conflict with yourself never goes away. We face the conflicts because we must. Then you'll spend your fine, your time fighting the culture around you. You'll be at odds with the culture around you, the pressures of the culture to conform. You will be told, you can't talk about hell here. You know, I was afraid when I worked for the telephone company and I'd give somebody a gospel tract, they went and reported me. <laughs> and my boss had to come to me and say, you know, Craig, you can't do that. And I said, why? Now, I could have been, I could have been really timid and say, oh, no, I don't want to offend anybody. Really? You don't mind them going to hell? Who's that guy? There's Penn and what's the other magician's name? Teller? What's the big guy? Penn? The big, hairy guy. Teller or Penn? Which one? Penn. He, he went on to YouTube and he said, you know what happened to me today? Impressed me the most of all people I've ever met. A guy came up to me and handed me a Gideon Bible. Told me I needed to get saved. I don't believe a word of it, he said, but I respect that man because if he believes in hell, I'm glad he was willing to tell me about it. Because I don't respect, and this is what he said, I don't respect a Christian who claims to believe that people are going to hell and they won't go and warn people. I says, an unsaved man preaching to us. What a message. You'll be at odds. You'll be told, don't talk about it. You'll be told, you can have a Bible, you can go to church, just don't believe it. You'll be at odds with with the pressures of our culture, with the promise of politics. Everybody's talking about, and Trump is doing a great job, doing a lot of great things. I don't care what your media says, and I'm not a Trump fan. But I'm going to say this. You listen to the media. You listen to Facebook, and it's fake book, by the way. You listen to RTE, and you watch, and you all this stuff, and you believe everything going on. You better believe the Bible. The world is going to hell, and politics won't save them. A lot of people are trusting their the myriads of drugs and medical treatments for all of people's problems. Let me tell you, you know, most people in the in in up in Sarsfield and and uh, in in the mental wards, you know what they need? A hug. 
They need somebody who just loves them and sits down with them and listens to them and then tells them of a Savior who died for them and who will tell them that he wants them. Half of them be home in a week. Amen. The gospel works, folks. Soul winners are not focused on fashions, on the latest tech or the games or entertainment. And I use PowerPoint, but I had a debate for years whether I was ever going to use PowerPoint because I wanted—I don't want to take away from preaching. I don't want to take away from the necessity for you to hear. But I know we're a visual generation. You'd love it if I was a video. You'd love it if you had a joystick and you could control me. Speed up, speed up and get over. End game. <laughs> <clears throat> you look at Christians and you'll see not a lot of shiny new cars out in the parking lot. You won't see a lot of new homes. You won't see our businesses succeeding. You know why? Because we care about souls. We give more money for missions than we spend on the coffee and we spend on, on the, the, the new things in life and all the latest gear and stuff. You know why? Because they're more important. It costs. It should burn in our heart of hearts to go and tell some of the good news every day. You'll, you'll, much of the time you'll be wrestling against spiritual darkness. Weston, isn't it true? When you start giving the gospel to somebody and you think it's going to be easy and you spend a half hour with them, you walk away and you're like dripping with sweat and your knees are, are knocking with, with, with like noodles and you go, that was a fight. And they didn't argue with you, but you knew there's a spirit there and you're wrestling against spiritual darkness. It'll cost a lot of conflict. It is not something, it's, uh, you go around and, what if you worked for the lotto? Going door to door, buy a lotto ticket, you'd be hugged. Amen? We don't work for the lotto, we work for the Lord. It'll cost a lot of compassion, Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> to go soul winning, you're going to have to love people's souls and love winning them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Love of Christ constraineth us. Let me see. Um, you mean, come here for a second. Come here. You, uh, put your Bible down. Come here. Let's see, Weston, come here. All right? Weston's a sinner. Yeah. Okay? That's easy to believe. Actually, go get your Bible for me. All right. Let's see. Let's get rid of this tie. I really ought to reverse this thing, but he's a good-looking sinner. Amen? No, no. That's right. That's right. We got to reverse, don't we? All right, you go over here. You take his Bible. You're the soul winner. You're the lost pagan sinner. You're over here now. Come on. Everybody's going to be confused if I don't get something right so, here. So now you're a sinner. That's right. We didn't doubt it for a second. Right. Anyway, okay. Weston's a normal Joe Blow. He's just normal Christian. And the Lord lays him on the heart to go and witness to Yuming. that even know his name. Just he works with him. Now watch what your Bible says. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one, if Jesus died for how many? How many? Say it one more time. He died for the whole world. That if Jesus died for all, then we're all dead. So if you mean not saved, now we know he's saved, but let's play it wrong for a second. If you mean is, is not a Christian, if Christ died for him, what is he? Now my mom would say this. When I get home, if that kitchen's not clean, you're all dead. <laughs> Anybody else have a parent like that? We took him serious, amen. <laughs> But the word is doomed. The word is, they have no hope. Verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live... Are you a believer? All right. You living in Christ? Christ living in you? All right. Are you breathing? Let's find out. Yeah, okay. Quit it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, verse 15. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So... Lord puts it on your heart, or you're just sitting there, and maybe you don't even have a pull or a tug or or a, a spiritual bone in your body, but you see Yuming, and he's eating his lunch, and what would get you to go over to him? Would it be a voice from heaven? Weston. Is that what it takes for you to finally go? Does it take pastor showing up at the job saying, have you witnessed anybody today? 
Do I have to text you? Do I have to remind you? Do I have to put a shock collar on you? No. What should constrain him so that he goes to you, Ming, and gives him the gospel? The love of Christ. It's his love for you, Ming. See, when Peter went into Cornelius' house, Peter did not love Cornelius, but he knew God did. He knew Christ did. And the love of Christ constrained him to pull out that gospel track. Hey, thanks him. Amen. I should have you hit him. Communist rebel! (laughs) From the start, he's got, he's got to allow the love of Christ to affect him so that he can love that lost soul. Amen? You can be seated. Thank you. Now, C.T. Studd said this. Missionary C.T. Studd, who went also to China. I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a rich man. He was a millionaire in 1915. A millionaire in Dallas, Texas, by the way. He said, I have tasted almost all the pleasures that this world can give, but I do not suppose that there is one that I, and, and there's one, there's not one that I have not experienced, but I can tell you that those pleasures were as nothing compared to the joy that saving of that one soul gave me. He fell in love with soul winning. David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Sanaka and the Delaware Indians in America in the 1750s, he said this at the end of his life, All my desire has been the conversion of the heathen, and now I am dying. But I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. He loved what he did. Jim Elliott, a missionary, friend of Nate Saint, who died as a martyr among the Aka Indians in Ecuador, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. John Keith Falconer, a missionary among the Arabs, just before he died, and he was only there six months before they killed him. He said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land like England or America or Ireland flooded with light. He said, I'd rather go to some place that's dark. Because he loved them. Folks, let me say this. You've got to love people's souls and love winning them. I don't care what it takes. It's like a man. You've got to love your wife. Woman, you've got to love your husband. Kids, come on. We've got to do some things that are just simply right. But can you imagine the joy of loving souls? You've been lied to because the world, Hollywood, says love is easy. And you wonder why your marriage stinks. (laughs) Because they always cost you. It will cost you to love. Love has always cost a lot, especially when it comes to soul winning, going to a people who don't want you, telling them what they don't want to hear, patiently winning them when they reject you over and over and over again. And you get over you just say, that's it, I'm not talking to them anymore. Love always costs. Loving people's souls will be the hardest thing you will ever attempt because you'll have to look beyond their skin color. You'll have to look all the, overlook all the cultural differences. You ever get the privilege of witnessing somebody who wears one of those burqa hats? Love them. You ever get the chance to stand in front of somebody who wants to kill you? Love them. I don't think you'll ever have uh, much danger here in, in Ireland, but I'm trying to talk to people to say, Lord, I'm willing Lost people matter to God, Keith Wright, another missionary, said, so they must matter to us. Lost people matter to God, so they must matter to us. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, said, if I had 1,000 lives, I'd give them all for China. That was in the early 1800s. Folks, if you do not love the lost, you will never win them. And lastly, it's the, the cost is long-term commitment. Go to Luke chapter 9 again. Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Luke 9, 62. Luke 9, 62. Last verse of the chapter. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow. Now, no, no, I, 
I don't think anybody in this room's ever been behind a plow. You know what? You've probably never been in a tractor either. Well, you've been behind a plow. All right. We're in the elite here this morning. But you ever put your hand to the plow and you try looking back, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. What's that talking about? When you put that plow into the ground or you stand in that tractor and you put those that, that plow mechanism into the, the soil there and you go forward, if you keep looking back and you keep looking back and you keep looking back, you're going to look like that the whole trek. And Jesus said, that's not how you serve me. I need you looking forward. I need you focused on that end game. I need you getting down to the, to the finish line. I need you to get there without looking back. Soul winning is not something we do for a little while simply because your preacher makes you feel guilty. <laughs> That's not what it is. It's a commitment to constantly giving and going yourself. Helping others go where you can't, maybe. You know, I, I could never, I have always dreamed of going to um, Myanmar. Do you even know where Myanmar is? It used to be known as Burma. I'll probably never get there. It's closed to white boys like me. But i love to go. I would love to go. You know what? I may not be able to go, but I can help somebody else go. Maybe somebody from Thai, Thailand or somebody from Cambodia. I know of a missionary. Uh, I was in a church up in upstate New York, and I gave, a, I gave a, a lot of money to a guy that I met who's a Cambodian uh, missionary. He's a guy who... Um, uh, announced that he was, uh, every, every couple of days or even every couple of weeks, he would walk across the border into Myanmar from Cambodia. And, uh, he would go in there and he'd spend a week there, sometimes living out of a little pup tent, sometimes, uh, uh, under trees and going and giving the gospel and handing out, uh, Burmese New Testaments. And then he'd be chased out of the country. Or he'd get out before he'd get put in prison over there. See, I can help somebody like that. I could never get in there. But there he is going in. Don't imagine for a second that you have a pass from your duty as a Christian of taking the gospel to people around you and warning them and winning them to faith in Christ. You've got to speak up. Now, we give extra in this church. We give extra to help God-called missionary families to go and stay in some faraway places like Micronesia and Hungary, Honduras, Portugal. Egypt, Middle East, Kerguelen, and Talon, Blanc. Who are we talking about? These are our missionaries. You know, we give a little extra than our tithe to help these people in some faraway places and not so faraway places. So that they can go and do, I'll never get to Honduras. I don't even like going to Blanchardstown. <laughs> I, I, I'd love to go to Portugal. Somebody invite me, whatever, anyway. Micronesia, when are we ever going to go to those, those thousands of little islands in Micronesia? But I give, and I hope you give, a little above, it's something called faith promise giving. It's not a tithe. You already are tithing. You take your income, chop off and say 10% of that first off is given to God. That's his. Not mine. It's not yours. It's his. Goes to pay for the lights, for our rent, goes to pay for the bus, for our, our, our outreaches. But there's an opportunity to go and say, you know what? I love the Lord. He has constrained me. He has changed my wallet so that I want to help people get saved. I'm already going, but there are places I'll never go, so I help others go. And you just put, I don't care if it's five, ten, if any kind of amount you want to put into that box, you just mark in their faith promise, and you do it every week, every month, whatever, so we can keep our missionaries going. As a church, we support nine missionaries for 75 euros a month, and equals, and and uh, uh, the O'Keefe's we support for 200 a month. That's 7,700 a month. Most of that we have to take out of our general fund. Because I want our church to be helping missionaries. But only 2,200 comes in of that 7,700 by people who say, I'm going to give a little extra. We consider being more faithful in doing more so that somebody could go and do what you and I could never do. That's faith promise. You say, you're talking about money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? The gospel is free to those who receive, isn't it? But it costs us everything so that the gospel can be given. 
Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that good? Well, how then shall they call on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not, uh, uh, I'm sorry, how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You and I can give. That's the first, that's the easiest thing. You and I can pray. That's the easiest thing. Maybe God might just send us to go. What does the gospel cost us? It'll cost you a a cross. You'll carry your cross, which means when you go along and they mocked you, you realize that's what they did to Jesus. As he carried that cross up, what we call the Via Della Rosa, they spit on him, they threw uh, things at them, they had beaten him, whipped him. How come you think you're better? I hope you never have to go through physical abuse. But at least take the verbal... At least take the door slammed in your face. At least go and bear your cross. That's what it is. Oh, my, my, um, my problem child is my cross. It is not. Your cross is when you're doing the will of God, trying to give the gospel out. It's a lot of conflict. You will argue with yourself on your way up to every door. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Amen. You'll, you'll, it'll cost you a lot of compassion and love. You'll find yourself more tired after going soul winning than, than if you ran five miles. Because it costs you. It costs you to love people. There's no harder job than, than, than working as customer service. Because you gotta love everybody who comes and says, you sent me the wrong thing, Amazon! And you go, Yes, let me try to fix that. No, I want my money back. And you have to just keep loving on the telephone, amen? And Christian, people make fun of you. You just got to keep loving them and get them back in tune with their need to get saved. It'll cost you a lot of compassion and love, and it'll cost you long-term commitment. You know, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you ought to be more and more and more passionate about souls, not less and less. Why am I pointing out all this? I'll tell you why. Shouldn't I be telling you how, how much God is going to bless you if you give? And then what they say in the TV. Shouldn't I be encouraging you to surrender your will into God's loving hands and he will give you a great life, like Joel Osteen says? No, I'll never say that because that are, those are lies. The Christian life when lived for Christ and lived for others will cost you everything. How do I summarize this? Let me break it down. Biblically, faithful Christians should never expect to be like and respected by a world that hates and despises our Lord. They may like your work. They may like your 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 production at the, at the office. They may like your scores. But they will not like you when you're giving them the gospel. Biblically faithful Christians should not even want to be liked and respected by such a world that deeply hates Jesus. How many of you want Henry Weinstein to send you a, a letter of appreciation? How many of you want uh, to be loved and adored like all of these frauds and fakers in Hollywood and the music industry? I don't even want to be liked by them. Amen? We should freely testify of the gospel of Christ at all times and all circumstances, expecting to be hated by the majority of people we give it to. Somebody once said this, when the world tells us that we're doing it all wrong, we should just figure it must be just another day ending in why. Think about that for an hour. Every day. Here's a scary thought. What if Christians stop shining? Then this world, our nation, our city, our homes will very rapidly become enveloped by the darkness of such sin that we have probably never imagined. I thought the Lord had to come back 37 years ago when I got saved because it was wicked back then. And when my pastor said it could be tonight, I believed it. Guess what? I still believe it. But I am shocked at how sinful people have become. How wicked nine-year-old kids are. If they don't have a church here, if they don't have a a gospel-preaching Bible club on the green down there in Inishmore, what hope does Inishmore have? What hope does Balancholic have? All the atheists and humanists who are 
who are out there saying they're doing good. Well, guess what? They're the ones driving for same-sex marriage, transgender rights, and abortion on demand. And every socialist who wants to take your money, all they want to do is get everybody to conform and be just the same. I think we'll regret for all eternity a life that we did not live as a light in this world. Do you know, one light, if we could illustrate by the light, darkness in this room, it doesn't take a lot of light to help a lot of people. One light, just one, in a very dark room can give hope to a lot of people. Amen. Okay, well, there are not a lot of people going soul winning. Well, the ones who are, I'm glad for. There ought to be more. But what a scary thought if nobody started, kept shining. Secondly, what a better thought. What if Christians, all Christians, started soul winning? Grabbed a fistful of tracks. Weston's over there. He's got a track in his pocket. He says, who do I look like? I looked at him, I don't know. He says, notice the track. Oh, you look like me. (laughs) So what? Amen. Give you a fistful of tracks in your purse, in your, in your pocket. Carry them everywhere you go. Give them to everyone on a whim for every reason. Talk to people about, about the Lord. Give them your testimony. Tell them the marvelous story of Christ in your life. I mean, if He saved you, it ought to be marvelous. Amen.